Hello, and welcome to the Road Not Taken podcast. Today on the podcast, we discuss exactly why we've been off the air for the last month and a half or so, the Democratic debates, and NBA free agency. Alright, so before we get to our actual content, I'd just like to speak on behalf of myself and my co-host Benjamin Restano. We've both been pretty busy with work uh, and other things going on over the summer so far, uh, but we plan to have podcasts out more regularly for the rest of the summer and then heading into the fall semester. We have some guests lined up, um, we're still working on a couple big ones, and we also have some feature episodes coming up, uh, like one that we're working on where we rank our favorite and least favorite and objectively greatest and worst presidents. Uh, and we have a a debate-slash-discussion about those. Uh, We're going to have lots of political content coming up, and as soon as NBA and NHL free agency wrap up, we'll assess the states of those respective leagues um, before they uh, they start up again in the fall. So our first topic for today is the Democratic debates. Now, I say debates because there are so many people running for the Democratic nomination, they had to split it up into two separate events— One was last Wednesday night, and then the next one was the day after on Thursday night. The first night was a little bit uh, top-heavy in that there was only one major contender uh, going against nine lesser-known figures. And that doesn't mean that one of those lesser-known figures will not have a chance to rise up the rankings or perhaps make a play for a vice presidential bid in the future. Um, But the only real uh, top-tier candidate at the moment was Elizabeth Warren. Uh, As expected, she held her own, and polling data is showing that her numbers are doing very well uh, after her debate performance on Wednesday. But I'd like to speak a little bit more about the debates on Thursday. Um, So I was able to cover just about every second of the debate, um, take notes, uh, pay very careful attention, Um, and there were several top-tier candidates that uh, that were speaking on Thursday. So we had Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. We had uh, Joe Biden, the former vice president and the current Democratic frontrunner. Kamala Harris, former uh, prosecutor in the state of California. And Bernie Sanders, the self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist senator from the state of Vermont. So the debate itself had some ups and downs. Uh, There was actually some solid policy discussion, Uh, not not that much specifics, but when um, the candidates were asked about their priorities, There were some very thoughtful and solid answers given. Uh, Personally, I'd say that Pete Buttigieg impressed me the most. Uh, He came across as very measured, very cool, very collected. Uh, His oratory skills are reminiscent of the ones that uh, then-Senator Barack Obama displayed during the 2008 debates. Um, And while he didn't actually have any significant policy proposals, um, not many of the candidates at the time laid them out throughout the debate, so that wasn't much of a loss there. He did fade a little bit towards the second half of the debate. Um, he didn't interject much. Uh, some other candidates were more vocal in forcing their way um, into you know fights with top tier contenders or punching down at you know lower tier contenders um, or just raising their hands and interjecting to speak more often. Pete Buttigieg was not one of those. Uh, so for the second, uh, the latter portion of the debate, he did fade a little bit into the background. Now, the one moment in the debate that is garnering the most attention on the news outlets and on social media uh, was an interjection. <clears throat> uh, sorry, I'm a little bit under the weather at the moment. 
uh, not an interjection rather, but a, uh, a dispute between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Um, Kamala Harris took a shot at Joe. Uh, she said that um, he was someone who had formerly praised racists um, in federal government uh, and that she correctly um, gauged his record of opposing busing. Now, busing was the practice of busing in uh, minority school children to school. Joe Biden defended himself by saying that um, his position was misconstrued on busing. Uh, he then made what I believe was a states' rights argument. I, he said something along the lines of that he uh, would not have been opposing busing on a federal level, but it was the states that made the decision, and you had to respect that. Um, which does harken back to the issue of, you know, if the states say that they have the right to own slaves, do you respect that decision? Um, Joe Biden also responded by pointing out that she had worked as a prosecutor while he had been a public defender. And this actually touches on one of Kamal Harris's weak spots. Um, black people in the United States have been incarcerated at a very high rate, um, and there are concerns in the African American and minority community that although Kamala Harris is herself a woman of color, uh, she has not backed that up with what she's done with her life. She's been a prosecutor um, as one of the lead uh, attorneys in California. She pursued going after children who were truant, uh, truant meaning that they did not attend school or that you know they, their attendance record was spotty. And that might seem like, like an admirable goal, um, but children that are truant tend to be more in impoverished areas. Um, and it hits uh, impoverished and minority communities harder than it does, you know, rich suburban white communities. Um, and she also has, you know, questionable, uh, uh, questionable track record when it comes to standing up for uh, the communities of color. Uh, so when Joe Biden pointed out that she was a prosecutor, I think that's the reaction that he was trying to elicit. Um, it actually turns out that Kamal Harris was right on the issue of busing. Uh, it turns out that you know people have dug up his statements. Um, and it does seem as though he opposed busing um, back when back when that was happening. Um, although it is to be noted that while he did praise segregationists who are who are racists, and she is correct about that, um, to be fair to him, he was pointing out that both sides of the aisle can work together. And I think what happened was that he just has a, he gets along with everybody pretty well, and he just picks some people. Um, and said, well, I can work with those guys. Uh, and I think that people, you know, may have took a message that he didn't intend, uh, you know, for, for people to take away from that. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Kamala Harris got the better of that exchange. Um, her polling and her funding are sure to go up after this debate. Uh, and that was pretty emblematic of a debate night where Joe Biden was under attack from all sides. He didn't do particularly well in uh, refuting the attacks. Um, the two most notable attacks came from Eric Swalwell and Kamala Harris. Uh, we've already talked about Kamala Harris, uh, but Eric Swalwell mentioned that um, Joe Biden should pass the torch to the younger generations. Uh, that was one of the big messages that he harped on throughout the debate. And then Joe Biden responded that he was still holding on to the torch, um, which was actually a pretty good bit of rhetoric. It's, you know, he used the same imagery that Swalwell had, but twisted it for his own purpose. Um, but it wasn't a particularly great moment for him, as many voters within the Democratic Party are younger voters. Uh, the Democratic Party does extremely well with younger voters, and their frontrunner, who has questionable ties with a racist slash 
um, anti-choice slash uh, now anti you know young people or, or someone who's less than willing to um, you know turn the reins of government over to those younger people. Um, all of those things combined are sure not to bode well with the young liberal democratic community in the United States. So the official Road Not Taken podcast winners and losers of the Democratic debates. Our first winner is Elizabeth Warren. She's also our first loser. She won in that she mopped the floor or, you know, if you're more pessimistic, held her own against a field of candidates uh, that were, you know, a little bit lesser um, in terms of polling and their chances at the presidency than she's at currently. However, she's a loser because most of the other major candidates got to display their ideas and attack other frontrunners. So Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders were all going at each other, um, you know, directly and, and less directly, um, for most of Thursday night. And Elizabeth Warren did not have the chance to do that. She was able to shine against weaker competition, but she wasn't able to prove her mettle. Um, and when I say metal, I don't mean metal like a gold medal. I mean metal, uh, fortitude, strength. Now, it's highly unlikely that Elizabeth Warren will fizzle, um, but it is worth noting that the the uh, the ratings in terms of how many people were watching the two debates was significantly higher for the second day. Um, so not as many people uh, were able to listen to her spread her message. Our second official winner is Kamala Harris. When it comes to the actual substance, um, she actually wasn't one of the top two or three candidates, um, but she was able to be very, uh, very powerful, uh, but be aggressive without coming off as aggressive. Um, she, you know, had the the best exchange of the night. She has all the sound bites. Um, she is the one that most of the talk shows are replaying clips of and discussing, um, and this will help her immensely in the short term, if not the long term. Our loser from the second debate was Joe Biden. And as we mentioned, um, when you're the front runner, everyone's out to get you. Uh, in the words of Omar, if you come at the king, you best not miss. Well, they weren't missing, and Joe Biden was not out there defending himself. He seemed uh, scatterbrained at times. Uh, he seemed perhaps a little bit unprepared uh, to respond to some pretty harsh criticism from his opponents. Uh, when someone points out that, you know, you were out there praising racists, um, you want to have something really good locked up uh, and coming out with, well, that was a misconstruction of my position is not the strongest way to make your case to the voters, many of whom haven't actually investigated the history of those remarks and probably won't. Uh, so when Kamala Harris says that, you need to be ready to respond and respond in a way that makes you look credible. And Joe Biden did not do that. Some lower-tier winners and losers. Uh, winners, Pete Buttigieg, he came across very strongly. However, he also wasn't that aggressive. Uh, Christian Gillibrand did a very good job of seeming passionate on the issues that she's run on, including um, advocating for the strength and power that women have, especially in government, uh, for fighting against big lobbyists, uh, groups like the NRA. Um, and uh, Julian Castro, who spoke Spanish at the debate, but besides that, actually... Uh, held his own very well and presented thoughtfully. Um, both of those were some of our winners. Uh, and some of our lesser tier losers were Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson. Um, Andrew Yang, because he actually got the least speaking time of anybody during the second debate. And Marianne Williamson, because when she did talk, she sounded like she was on LSD or some other drug. Um, and that's about all of our debate takes. Uh, we'll be back with more political analysis 
but at this point it's really too early to tell. Uh, the debates are fun to watch uh, if you're a political junkie, if you're someone who's into that kind of thing, but the, the average American isn't going to be paying that much attention right now. The field itself will narrow down considerably, at least we hope, uh, may actually grow larger, <laughs> but um, we'll, uh, we'll keep you updated right here at the Road Not Taken podcast, and we'll have some guests on to talk about that in the future. And before we finish up this episode of the Road Not Taken podcast, we'll switch briefly to NBA free agency. Now, this may have been the most chaotic NBA free agency in history. Uh, there were players being signed, uh, players that were part of sign-in trades, uh, there were players that stayed with their teams, players that left with their teams, uh, players that were shipped in surprise deals, uh, max players picking new homes and becoming the face of new teams. Um, and uh, we, we have to actually hold off just now. We should probably wait uh, at least one or two weeks after the conclusion of this first period of NBA free agency to actually have any uh, you know informed, rational takes. Uh, but for now, uh, there's a lot to discuss. The biggest news of the week and perhaps the offseason is that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I'm a Knicks fan, and it's not the, it's not quite as bad as people are making out to be because uh, there is some legitimate concern about Kevin Durant's recovery from his torn Achilles and Kyrie Irving's uh, effect on a locker room full of young players. Um, but overall, it's not a good day to be a Knicks fan. Uh, they struck out on virtually every major free agent, um, and even if Kawhi Leonard wanted to come here at this point, uh, the Knicks don't have enough cap space, having already spent it on lower to mid-tier free agents. But this is a great day for Brooklyn. Um, they stole Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving out from under the nose of their crosstown rivals. Um, they already have a good infrastructure and team chemistry, so they may be one of the teams better equipped to handle Kyrie Irving's quirks. And they already made the playoffs last year, and they're upgrading. They moved on from D'Angelo Russell. They, they traded him to the, to the Golden State Warriors. But they picked up Kyrie Irving, who is a better version of point guard than D'Angelo Russell is. So they can just make the playoffs this year and then wait for Kevin Durant to come back the year after that to really contend in the Eastern Conference. In other news, Philadelphia signed Tobias Harris to a near-max, I believe, deal, uh, and they traded Jimmy Butler to the Miami Heat. Now, this, this was a move that just about nobody saw coming. Uh, all we heard, had heard was that uh, suddenly Jimmy Butler was going to have a meeting with the Heat, and then uh, there was no other update on that front until he actually signed. And this um, is actually probably not a basketball uh, utopia for Jimmy Butler. It's more likely that he likes the city of Miami, the culture that Pat Riley has built there, and he wants to be the man. He wants to be Dwayne Wade, that same level of respect and reverence in Miami that he just isn't going to get in a team that already has one or two or three other stars. The Boston Celtics have signed Kemba Walker. Uh, Kemba Walker is a worthy replacement for Kyrie Irving. He isn't quite as good, but he gives you about 95% of the production um, with all of the good vibes that Kyrie didn't bring. Uh, Kemba is a good teammate. He's a genuinely good person. He has a good attitude, um, and he's very loyal. So he's not going to have the same effect on young players like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, and others in the same way that Kyrie Irving had. Um, the worst news for the Celtics is that Al Horford is leaving. 
and he's not just leaving, he is going to the Philadelphia 76ers. For years, Al Horford had been one of the, the cornerstones of the Celtics. Uh, every time that the Sixers and Celtics played, Al Horford would lock up Joel Embiid, uh, play him tough, give him problems. But now Philadelphia has Horford. And the Celtics, well, they signed Ennis Cantor to a two-year, $10 million deal, which is not going to cut it when you're an Eastern Conference contender. Overall, the Celtics are probably in a better place than they'd have expected, given that they've replaced Kyrie with Kemba, which was no sure thing even a short while ago. Uh, But as it stands, they're not quite going to be up there with the contenders like the Milwaukee Bucks, who lost Malcolm Brogdon but are bringing virtually everybody else back. Uh, The Toronto Raptors, who even if they lose Kawhi Leonard, are still going to have a very, very strong team uh, and good mojo coming into the next season. And the Indiana Pacers, who actually received Malcolm Brogdon, having traded for him from the Bucs. Uh, the Pacers are a team to watch this year. They lost Boyan Bedanovic, uh, but they gained Malcolm Brogdon. So we're going to have a team that has DeMontis Sabonis, Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo, and Malcolm Brogdon all on the same roster, including, I believe it's P.J. Tucker. It may also be T.J. Warren. Uh, they're both you know, small forwards slash power forwards who have abbreviated first names, so I am prone to get them mixed up a little bit. Um, but I believe it's T.J. Warren to fill out that small forward role. Moving on to the Western Conference. Um, This is a little bit less chaotic than the East. However, some big moves were made. The Portland Trailblazers locked up Damian Lillard to a max contract, sealing the fate of of the city of Portland. They've locked up Damian Lillard. They'll have Dame time for at least another four years. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not they'll keep C.J. McCollum as he is a free agent at the end of the 2021 season. They also traded the two backup-slash-starter-caliber players that they had who were expendable to the Miami Heat. Uh, they traded Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard, neither of whom they're particularly going to miss in exchange for Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside has averaged about 14 points and 10 rebounds uh, for most of his career. He's also a very good shot blocker, but he had some problems with the Heat's organization, and he'd been benched and wasn't playing that often, and hopefully a change of scenery and playing next to two elite players like C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard will revitalize his career. Portland made it uh, within a, you know, three or four games of beating the Warriors last year, um, but they knocked off a really good Denver team, and now they're adding Hassan Whiteside to the mix. Once Yusuf Nurchich gets healthy, they're a team to watch in the Western Conference. The other team that made noticeable strides so far in free agency are the Utah Jazz and the Golden State Warriors, but not for the reason that you'd expect. So we'll start with the Warriors. Um, They lost Kevin Durant, obviously, but they did resign Clay Thompson to a five-year maximum contract. And as soon as he gets back, he'll be back to his 3 and D ways. Uh, forming one half of the tandem known as the Splash Brothers in the Bay Area. Their other move was to sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell, and it's unclear what exactly they want to do with him, but it seems that what happened is Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors, uh, D'Angelo signed with the Nets, and then they traded. Um, So essentially what happened was Kevin Durant said, I'm going to Brooklyn, and he said, I'm signing a max with them, 
So what the Warriors did was they said, all right, well, we'll sign you and then we'll flip you to Golden State. So that way you, uh, we can get D'Angelo back so we won't lose you for nothing. Um, and Brooklyn pretty much had to give up D'Angelo because they didn't have enough cap space to bring Kyrie Irving in anyway. Uh, so both teams got what they wanted, although it does remain to be seen if the Golden State Warriors trade D'Angelo or see if they try to keep him around. Our other big winner in the Western Conference is the Utah Jazz. The Jazz acquired Boyan Boydanovich, who was a free agent from the Indiana Pacers. Now, Boyan is a deadly shooter. He's not going to, you know, dribble around you or do anything fancy. Uh, He's pretty much going to stand in the corner, shoot threes, hit spot-up jumpers. Um, But he is a microwave scorer. Uh, If you need a run in the third quarter, he can pop off 10 straight. Uh, He's that kind of player, and he's not going to kill you defensively. They'll add him to a lineup that includes Mike Conley, who they traded for just before free agency, acquiring him from the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Mike Conley, who has never been an all-star, but has been as close as you can come on several occasions. They'll have Mike Conley at point guard paired with Donovan Mitchell, or as they call him, Spida Mitchell, on Twitter. Boyan Bodanovich at the three or the four, depending on what lineup you want to run out. And then you can either go small and play Joe Ingles at the three and then Boyan at the four, or you can go larger and play Boyan at the three and Derek Favors at the four. And let's not we forget, they anchor their lineup with Defensive Player of the Year candidate just about every year, Rudy Gobert, the Stifle Tower. So that's about all for our NBA free agency talk. Um, Benjamin, unfortunately, was unable to make it. Uh, He has some personal things that he's attending to. But we'll be back in the coming weeks with um, both ourselves doing our our, our co-hosted podcast, so you're not just hearing my voice every week. And we'll have some guests on in the near future. So thank you for listening. And this has been the Road Not Taken podcast.